Jay Billis joined us on the Sport and the Growing Good podcast. Jay is the author of a book called Toughness, and he examines how toughness can be found on the basketball court, how it can be developed, and also how lessons in toughness can be applied off the court. In his book, Jay provides many examples of former teammates and of coaches and teachers he's had over the years um, who taught him valuable lessons on toughness in a variety of ways. As we work with coaches throughout Wisconsin and beyond, we are learning more about various attributes associated with the game, with the game of basketball and the game of football and soccer and many other sports, and how coaches can help nurture virtues on the court, on the field, and off. So this book about toughness was a really interesting one for us to think about, and Jay's perspectives are really, really good for us. A couple of the points that I thought were especially interesting in our conversation. One, Jay makes the point both in his book and also in our in our discussion about how toughness can be developed. It's not like an attribute you're born with or not born with, but it's something that we can grow in and we can develop. We can become tough in different ways. And he spells out some very specific ways that can look and ways that coaches can help um, do that. He gives some really excellent examples from the famous Coach K, who Jay played for at Duke. But he also provided some really meaningful examples of others you may not have thought about um, as people who would foster toughness. He gives a great example of a, a former teacher he had who taught him drama and public speaking and how Jay was forced to kind of step out of his comfort zone and to develop toughness in a, an area totally different from basketball. Another example that I thought was really interesting that he talked about in his book and in our conversation was of his former teammate, David Henderson, and he gave some examples of how this teammate was not the most athletic or he wasn't the highest rated recruit, but that he had um, what Jay called competitive credibility and his competitiveness rubbed off on teammates and his competitiveness was a real model for others on the team to follow. David Henderson's example is one that I think all coaches would love to draw from for their own teams across different sports. The last example um, from the book and from our conversation that I thought was really meaningful was Jay's discussion of injury and how often the word toughness is associated with playing through pain and being physically tough but that sometimes that can be counterintuitive to what true toughness is. He provided some examples from his own life about fighting through injury and how um, his, his lack of willingness on his own behalf to speak up for himself and his injuries maybe set him back a bit physically. So he, he shared about how athletes and coaches need to be really honest about injuries and that true toughness is finding the kind of sweet spot between um, being physically brave, but also um, being smart and not making injuries worse. It was a real pleasure to learn from Jay. He is, uh, has had a wonderful career as an ESPN commentator, as an attorney, and as a leader in the world of basketball. So thank you so much, Jay, for your insights and your perspectives, and we all will learn much from you.
in your book, it was great to read about this idea of toughness. And, and as you said in the book at the beginning, it's something that's a word that's used a lot, but a lot of people may not be able to define it really well. And I especially enjoyed some of your examples from your own life out off the basketball court. Um, and, and one was how your mom encouraged you to do some things that weren't comfortable for you. You used, and you used the one example of um, drama and with a teacher named Mr. Kramer. Could you talk a little about him, about this, this man, Mr. Kramer, and his role in your life and why, how that was maybe even different from some of the coaches you had on, on the basketball court? Yeah, he was a uh, Billy Kramer was a profound influence on my life. He was uh, I've met him when I was uh, in uh, intermediate school. I was probably in sixth or seventh grade, and he was a drama teacher at my my intermediate school. And uh, my mom encouraged me, uh, and I'm using encouraged in a very uh, nice way because she made me take um, a public speaking course from Mr. Kramer. And that led me like, and then he kind of encouraged me and basically pushed me into some drama stuff. And oddly enough, when I went to high school, he got a job at my high school. And so uh, I had him for uh, English and then uh, forensics and all these different things uh, in, in the public speaking realm. And he was, he was really uh, as influential on me as any coach or teacher that I've ever had. And it's kind of odd, like he was a really, uh, a really tough guy, but that did not come across as that. Um, you know, he would be, uh, I'm trying to think of someone uh, that, that would, you know, you would be able to, it, it, like he would remind you of, and it would probably be a, a guy who was an actor a million years ago uh, named Rip Taylor. Um, Mr. Kramer was, was sort of, um, he was very funny and uh, and and a little bit a little bit effeminate in in the way he came across, but tough as nails when it came down to getting things done. And so when I was in any of his productions, if I didn't do exactly what I was supposed to do when I was supposed to do it, he jumped all over me. And I remember him saying one time that you have no excuse for not hitting your mark. You have no excuse for not. Uh, uh, you know, being on on stage at the right moment and your entrance or whatever it would be. And he would say, you have no opponent in this. There is no one trying to stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. And, and he would always say, you know, on your little basketball floor, you have somebody trying to stop you. You may have an excuse. You have no excuse here. And, uh, uh, and I always, always remember that, that, you know, sort of when, uh, when I was playing ball, you know, you had an opponent and I kind of look at things that way now. And I look at it sort of, coaches and all like coaches don't have opponents that they, they have competition but nobody's trying to stop them from doing what their job is the players have people trying to stop them um so i've always i've always remembered that he was he was really a a, a big influence on me was that kind of a, a cold turkey thing for you to go into into drama and that you said you became even the lead in the in the play and even got some acclaim for it and i actually didn't realize you had been in in acting as well and you were in a in a movie and in some commercials and that um was that something that was in your background leading up to that or was that a totally out of the out of the comfort zone type of a thing for you well i guess it was in my background after meeting mr kramer and taking his classes and he um you know he had me in in these forensics competitions where in high school you know we had this there was a forensics team 
And, and so we traveled around and, and went to some different colleges, high schools, whatever, and had uh, competitions. And so I had to uh, compete in two different categories. It was extemporaneous speaking and impromptu speaking, where they would give you a topic. And one of them, you had time to come up with something. And the other, they gave it to you and you had to go right there. And so uh, I, I, I learned how to think a little bit better on my feet and then not be concerned with having an empty room and three judges in front of you and feeling self-conscious. It was just sort of, I got to do this and I, I can't feel self-conscious or I can't be nervous. I just have to do it. And so later on, uh, when I would uh, have to speak in public or uh, if I had to do an interview uh, on television or later when I got into television or when I became a lawyer and had to appear before a judge uh, or a, a, a court of appeals, whatever it would be, uh, I, I always hearken back on that experience as being oftentimes more difficult than what I had in front of me at the time. So that was really helpful. And, you know, your point about uh, as I got to high school, you know, I became um, I became more well known for playing basketball. And that was my primary thing. That's what I really cared about. But Mr. Kramer still had me No, you're going to, you're going to act in this, you're going to be in this play. And uh, I got, the, you know, I had the lead in this production my senior year called Watch on Lillian Hellman's Watch on the Rhine. And it was, you know, pretty heady stuff for high school production. And we wound up, you know, the production wound up winning a number of awards and I was awarded for the, you know, greater Southern California area, this one best actor award from Bank of America. And I didn't want to take it. And I thought, well, I'm a basketball player. There are people who have, have th th that's all they do is drama. And, and then some basketball player goes in and gets this, this award and, and I didn't want to accept it. And, and I was kind of embarrassed by it a little bit too, which I shouldn't have been, but, but he said, no, you will accept this award and you will accept it with appropriate pride. And, Cause I had said, I had said, I'm not an actor. And he says, you're right. You're not an actor. You're an award-winning actor. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I, I, that was really kind of cool. We've talked with our coaches a lot about the role of parents and how to, it's such a complicated role in a lot of ways. And I was so impressed in reading about your mom and how it seemed like she really threaded it, threaded the needle well in terms of you, you just said she forced you to do that. And you also mentioned, I think, ballroom dancing as, as these things where she challenged you to do something you weren't comfortable with, be comfortable doing something you're not comfortable with. That's a great example of, of a parent who's not just coddling or not just saying to do what you feel comfortable with, but challenging, challenging um, you. Have you drawn lessons from that in your own life or seen other parents of teammates do that well? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I've tried to, I mean, you know, my parents grew up in a, obviously in a different generation where there was a lot of, you know, my way or the highway. Like it wasn't a, uh, uh, my mom didn't want me to do all these things because she wanted me necessarily out of my comfort zone. She wanted me to be cultured. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, she wanted me to be able to handle myself in, in social situations. So the, I think the public speaking piece was not necessarily so I would get into broadcasting or all that stuff. It's so that I wouldn't, make a fool out of myself in public. And same thing with the, with the ballroom dancing thing. Like most kids I went to school with, they took cotillion, you know, it was like a requirement. 
uh, in school at that time. And, and that's pretty much all anybody had to do, but that wasn't enough for my mom. I had to do this ballroom dancing thing. And then it turned into, I had to, I, I was in ballroom dancing competitions, which was horribly embarrassing. I didn't tell any of my friends, like I, I didn't breathe a word of that. And, you know, I won, uh, uh with the partner I danced with, I won a, a number of trophies. And I never had them displayed. I, they were in a closet somewhere because I, I didn't want anybody to know. And uh, the only the only positive out of that, really, at that time, you know, with a, a much smaller brain, was uh, when uh, uh, when you did have to take the cotillion stuff, and you're with all your friends, and and guys are trying to be all macho about it. Um, uh, one of my friends said, "You know, God, you." you're doing this that you know this stuff and I go I'm an athlete man I mean how can you not do this you know because I'd, I'd been trained already so I knew yeah. I knew how to do all of it yeah you have so many great stories of all the, these great teammates from Duke and from the NBA and over the years the one that really drew my attention though was a lesser known guy when you talked about playing in Italy against this guy named John Ebeling yeah and what you talked about him as the toughest guy you ever played against um, what was it about John Ebling? I had never heard of him myself, but that I looked him up and it sounds like he was a really distinguished player, you know, in the, in the South in college at a lo lower level college. But what was it about him that was so that made you write about him all these years later? Yeah, John Ebling. And I, I really don't know John. I played against him, but uh, you know, we really didn't talk that much um, when we were playing against each other professionally in Italy. He played at Florida Southern. Uh, division two, he's division two All-American. And so when I first played against him, um, I'd, I'd never really heard of him, honestly. And, uh, and he, he didn't look like uh, a great play. He didn't have the look of a great player. Uh, some guys have the look. Yeah, he, he didn't have that. Um, but he was kind of like me and that, that, you know, good athlete, not great. Um, you know, he, he worked hard and all that stuff. Uh, but when I played against him, uh, I realized, okay, that's what I should aspire to be because he wasn't beating me with his, um, superior athleticism or superior skill. He, he beat me with, with superior want to like everything I could do. Uh, I could do everything he could do and maybe some of it better. Um, uh, but, uh, he, he played harder, um, went after it harder, you know, never gave up on anything. And he made everything I did really, really hard. And, uh, and you, you kind of left that game thinking, well, I don't want to play against him again. That was no fun. And, uh, and, and really that's sort of the player you should aspire to be is one that's easy to play with and hard to play against. And he was really hard to play against. Um, and, and so I, I really respected that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that, uh, he was the best player I ever played against because he wasn't, uh, but he, w he was certainly the toughest. A couple of the, the ways you talk about toughness were really interesting to me. One was you said it's a skill that can be developed. We often talk about toughness as it's like you are or you aren't. So you're a tough guy or you're not. Um, and so you talk about it as something that can be developed. And then the other thing I thought was really interesting was that you're not tough alone and that you can grow in your toughness through your teammates. You, you mentioned um, David Henderson as, an, as one of the better examples of one of your former teammates. And you used the term competitive credibility when you talked about David. What did you mean by that term? Well, I, I think toughness, uh, the way we're talking about it here, is, is contagious. And, and 
David had a tremendous amount of competitive spirit and would not give in to anything. And so it made you want to match that standard. And you always knew when he stepped on the floor that he was going to, he was going to bring it. It didn't mean he was going to play great every single time or he's going to make every shot. You're not saying that, but he was going to, he was going to bring the same level of fight to everything. And, and, so you knew when he said something or did something where it was coming from. And that, that kind of credibility is an earned uh, thing. And, and he earned it every day and never took anything for granted. And, you know, that's the kind of person I think you want to be around. And the person that raises, raises your level and raises the level of everyone around him. And he doesn't have to say anything. Like, it's not that he had to turn around and say, hey, you know, you need to raise your level. It's just that you know, you were, you were going to try to match him because of how much respect you had for the way he went about things. And you didn't want to, you didn't want to let, you know, let him down in that regard. Um, and I think that's sort of the leadership piece of this is, um, you know, whether you're the best player or the, the last person on the, the depth chart, um, you can raise the level of your organization by uh, your performance. And by the way you do your job or your role, uh, if you're a star in your role, um, and, and David was, was certainly that. And, and I think he was a, he's one of those guys that's an example of if David had gone to another, another team and played somewhere else, he would have had more trophies on his individual trophies on his shelf. Um, and, but because he was our, maybe our third best player, he would have been the best player at most of the other schools we played against. But because he was our third best player, he never got the credit out, uh, he deserved outside of our team. So when you have situations like that where your your team is is good, is so good that, you know, your role players would be stars somewhere else, uh, you, you have an obligation within your team to let them know that we know you're a star and you're, you're a star and, and he was a star. I remember about, it was like 1993 and I was a freshman at Notre Dame. We came to Cameron and I checked into the game and I had the guard number 33 and it was Grant Hill. And I remember distinctly in my mind thinking, this guy could score on me at any point without, you know, within five seconds. And I was very aware of how much better he was than me in every way, but he was under such control and he, he didn't try to score on me every time. And he, you know, he passed the ball, he was rebounding. He did score too, but you talk about him in the book as a selfless example of, you know, one of the great players, one of the great athletes, um, but that actually someone that Coach K had to say, you're being too selfless and you need to exert yourself as a scorer even more. Um, did toughness manifest itself differently in a guy like him who's supremely talented, but also it sounds like really humble and kind of selfless? Yeah, and those, those things aren't mutually exclusive. Like, you can be incredibly tough and incredibly nice at the same time. And, and Grant was always really competitive, but uh, deferred to his teammates at times, especially when they were older. And uh, it, I, I think of all the people that, that have come through Duke basketball over the years, and, and I don't say that, you know, you, you try not to, to make these kind of bold statements, uh, because you're, you're talking about, you know, great people, great players. 
but Grant Hill's the the best that Duke's ever produced. Um, the full package, not only as a player, but as a person and, and all that. There's never been anybody like him uh, that's come through that program. Uh, but I think when he was evolving as a player, he probably didn't realize when he got to Duke how talented and good he was, that, that he was transcendent, that he could be a Michael Jordan type player. Um, but he started figuring that out throughout the course of his, his years there. And he had a wonderful balance of being a cutthroat competitor when he was playing. And then the, the nicest, most thoughtful, both thoughtful in, in word and deed, but thoughtful uh, and polite too, that you'd ever meet. And, and so to me, he's a wonderful example of how you can, you can fight like crazy. And then, uh, and then when the game's over, flip the switch and, and, you know, be a, uh, an incredibly nice and thoughtful person. My last question for you, Jay, you, you, you had this example of your own life in, a, in an off season where you really decided to work on your strength. You ended up playing center a lot and you were not as tall, probably you're playing against these, you know, Ralph Sampson and all these other guys. So you went home to work on your body over the summer. And that, um, so you, you became much tougher physically, stronger physically, but it led to some injuries and, and you attempted to play through the pain. Um, that's a, that's a, often when we think about toughness, we think about that playing through pain and think playing, you know, when you're not a hundred percent, but you talked about, there's a fine line between playing through pain, but being smart about it and not going too far. And maybe you went too far and ended up hurting you a little bit in your capacity as a player. What did you learn through that experience of playing through pain? And what advice do you give to, to coaches about talking to their players about that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in my personal experience, you know, when I had uh, had done all that work you had talked about to become a, a stronger player physically, part of that was because I was injured and I couldn't play uh, during the summer. I had a knee injury that w it turned out was misdiagnosed. And, uh, and so I, I wound up, uh, I had a torn tendon and, uh, and so they, they thought it was just really bad tendonitis and all that stuff. And so I played my junior year through it. And after the season was over, I had, I had basically said, look, like I'm either the biggest wimp on the planet or I've got a problem that we're not, we haven't figured out because the things you're telling me, I'm not, I'm not feeling. And so they, I wound up having surgery on my knee in between my junior and senior year. And, uh, but I went way too long without expressing, like, I don't believe what I'm being told, like, this is not right. And I just thought, you know what, I need to suck it up and play and I don't want to miss any time and I'm not going to complain. And, you know, I've got a really high, I don't know whether you call it a low or high pain. Tolerance. I can take a lot of pain and, but I was injured and I made it a lot worse. Um, and I think there's a difference between being tough and being foolish. And frankly, I was foolish. And then after I had surgery, I made the U S national team. And so my choice was, do I rehab this summer? Or do I play? And, and I, I decided to play because it was a once in a lifetime thing. I still don't regret it because I'm glad I had the experience, but it really set me back. Um, and it was, was those, those kind of decisions that, you know, sometimes um, the, the, the most important word in your life is no. And in order to, you know, in order to say yes to your priorities, there are times you have to say no to other things. And 
my priority should have been to get healthy and get prepared for the next year, not to play in the U S national team. Those are good. Look, those are good, you know, choices to have to make, but I should have said no. And, uh, and I think I would have had a smoother, you know, ending to my college career and start of my pro career because I, I was in pain, um, constantly and, uh, and it didn't need to be that way. Um, and, I, and there, there was nobody, like I could sit and make excuses and say, well, the doctor should have done this or the trainer should have done this or they should have seen this. That's on me because I just took the, the pain medication and I kept my mouth shut and I soldiered through it. And, and I, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was uh, being a tough guy and I was really being an idiot. And so and I, a lot of times I, I actually think about that when I've gone to the doctor or something, the doctor will ask you, well, how are you feeling? How does this feel? Whatever. And you may be embarrassed to tell him, well, this is, this is a problem or uh, him or her, uh, your doctor. And, you know, I've realized that being tough is, it means being honest too, that if you want to address something, you have to address it completely head on uh, and not, you know, not try to fool, fool anybody, especially yourself. Uh, Cause most people, and I, I included myself in this for a long time and maybe even now, um, we're really good at rationalizing and really good at making excuses. And uh, if you, that's part of being tough too, is, is being honest about things like, you know what, I failed here and here's why I failed. Um, I, didn't, I didn't do this right and here's why I didn't do this right and I need to correct this and move on uh, rather than pretending that it didn't happen or making excuses or blaming something else to kind of let yourself off the hook. Um, it's okay. It's okay to fail. It's okay to have bad moments, um, as long as you you know stand up and address them, uh, and then and then move on in a positive direction. Did your coaches, Jay, talk to you about injury and how to navigate that, or is it totally left between you and the doctor? Well, back then, it, things were a little bit different. You didn't have the same care that you have now. So you had a trainer, and there was only one. And then you had a you had a, a doctor who was great, and you know th- there was a mistake made. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it wasn't a big deal. The big deal was I didn't, I didn't complain enough and say, no, th- this pain is not like, I can't sit down. I can't sit in a car with my leg bent for more than 10 minutes at a time without having to stop the car and get out. Mm-hmm. I can't sit in a movie. I can't get through a whole movie. Um, the pain is so bad. And I was taking, you know, anti-inflammatories and pain medication, all that stuff. And, and, and it turned out I started taking too much of it because the pain was so bad. Um, but I didn't, I, didn't compl- I didn't complain or say anything. I rehabbed and did everything I was supposed to do in that regard, but it, it, was, it was a bad situation. And, and I, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I wanted credit for it. It was just I thought that was what I was supposed to do, and I wasn't. That was a, that was a huge mistake. So, you know, the, how could the coaches or my teammates know about the problem if I didn't say anything. And, and that was, that was on me. And, and so I wasn't looking at the end of that to blame anybody. I knew whose fault it was. It's my fault. Um, and I wish I would have handled it differently because I would have performed at a higher level. I would have been better for myself. I would have been better for the team and, and, uh, and I would have saved myself a lot of literal pain. But, um, but also the pain of, of kind of what if, like if I had handled that better, uh, my results would have been better. Um, so, you know, sometimes uh, uh, it's the tough thing to do to sit out and, and, you know, take care of yourself the right way and, and 
like the say no part, um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're in college, young person, older person, you're going to have opportunities that are going to be uh, compromising of your priorities. And other people are going to think, well, that's fine. Everybody does that. Well, no, I, you know, I have to say no to this. If I say no to this, I'm saying yes to my priorities. And, uh, and you know, it's the same thing with family. You know, I learned that lesson the hard way where I was trying to be all things to all people when my family, when my kids were young and my wife had to sit me down and say, listen, I'm really proud of you for, uh, you know, being there for all of your friends. When people ask you to do charity thing, you hop on a plane, you go do this because you realize what you're missing, right? That you need to, when you say yes to something else, you're saying no to your family. And that was a, that was a hard lesson to learn. 